Well, welcome to Salem Chapel. Uh, my name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, if you're new with us. So great to have you. I've met some new people uh, this morning, and so, so good to have you. I see some people representing some jerseys, even though you, uh, the jerseys that I'm looking out at aren't in the Super Bowl. I'm with you. Okay, I'm a Bears fan, so... Hopefully that'll happen before Jesus comes back, but I get it, uh, so I'm glad. I, I thought about it, but then I was like, if someone's not a Bears fan, then that's all you're going to think about and just trash me up on stage, which isn't going to bother me. I just want, to, want you to pay attention, um, so, uh, but we're so grateful to have you here this morning, whether you're first-time guests, whether you are uh, call this place your home, you're watching us online, thank you so much for being here, and uh, Man, I came in this morning uh, while the band was rehearsing, and I was like, man, retro night at the Salem Chapel. Um, that song uh, came to my rescue. Man, that took me back. Remember last week we talked about adversity, and one of the swords of, Gol uh, of our Goliaths can be songs, can be praise. For me, like, came to my rescue. Like, that song came out, if you didn't know, in 2005. Um, and uh, some of you were not even born. Or, or were babies in a crib. But for those of us who were not, uh, man, I remember leading that song uh, as I was leading a church in worship. And man, what an, what an awesome, simple, but powerful song. I called, you answered, and you rescued my soul. Man, what an amazing truth. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 22. If you are new with us, we've been walking through the book of 1 Samuel in this series entitled, Give Us a King. I know many of you who call this place your home, uh, you have been with us in this series. We started this series in the middle of October, uh, and Lord willing, we'll wrap it up March 5th. And, uh, and so we're excited to, to kind of uh, come to the end of this journey knowing that we've walked through this book that let's just be honest, when you're walking through Old Testament books, you're hit in the face with a reality that if you didn't need to be reminded that people are jacked up. Uh, and people were jacked up even back during this time. Man, the Old Testament is rough. Um, it is a reminder of our need for Jesus. And uh, we have walked through other New Testament books and been faced with that reality. Uh, we're faced with it again, even in these chapters that we're going to look at. Um, but the reality is, is I don't know about you, but I'm faced with it every day. The reminder of my need for Jesus, the reminder for this world's need for Jesus. And so that's the whole purpose of this series, Give Us a King, to remind ourselves that yes, our hearts long for a king. And we look to a lot of different people in a lot of different places, but there's one king and his name is Jesus. So we're actually gonna walk through, not verse by verse necessarily, but we're gonna spend time in chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24 this morning. But before we do, I think we need to touch on uh, where where David has been before we get to chapter 22, because last week we only dealt with the first nine verses. And so some of you, you know, it's interesting, if you follow along on our reading plan, you're reading the, the, the passages of Scripture before we come on Sunday, and I encourage you to grab one of these in the, at the Welcome Center. You can grab it online if you're watching online right now. Just go to our teaching tab. You can download that. And so every, every Sunday at the end of the service, it's like, man, Jenny, I was hoping you were going to talk about this, and I was hoping you were going to talk about that. And, and, and that's what I love about you reading ahead, because God gets to show you what he wants you to know. 
But in verses 10 through 15, we can't bypass what's happening in David in 1 Samuel 21 because it leads us into the chaos that we find ourselves this morning in chapters 22 through 24. See, David is running for his life so much so that in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21, he actually runs to the land of the Philistines, Israel's arch enemy. And not just to the land of the Philistines, he runs to Goliath's hometown. Like the giant that he just took down. The giant that had the people of Israel scared for 40 days and 40 nights, that place. Like David is so bewildered and in the midst of such chaos that he actually thinks it's a good idea. Of all the places to go, I've got a great idea. Let's go back to where Goliath's from. And so he goes to Gath and he, he goes into this enemy territory and he starts to hear rumors that people start to recognize who he is. I mean, after all, would you not be recognized if you were the guy who actually took down a nine foot six inch giant? I mean, that would give you some press. And so David starts to be recognized by some of the servants of King Achish. And all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, isn't that the guy who took down thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals? Like that's the guy that killed our Goliath. So David sees, uh-oh, I'm, I'm recognized. I'm in this covert, covert operation and I'm seeing that I'm, I'm, going, I'm being recognized. So David all of a sudden starts to act like he's crazy. So David starts like drooling at the mouth and he starts writing all of these uh, unrecognizable things on the gates of the city so that the people are like, man, David's no threat. Like something happened from David in the Valley of Elah to where we find ourselves today. Like he's gone mad, he's gone crazy. It's interesting that the servants go to King Achish and say, hey, King Achish, I think that David is here. But the problem is he seems mad. And I don't know about you, but maybe it's my sense of humor. But I think it's interesting in verse 15 of 1 Samuel 21. Can you look at it? Because hopefully you're in 1 Samuel 22. So just right above. This is what Achish says. Do I like madmen? That you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Like how many of you have felt like that? I don't need any more crazy in my life. Anybody else? Everybody? Can we admit that? I'm not saying you're pointing to who is crazy, maybe in this room, but I've, I've thought that myself. I don't need to invite more crazy into my life. I've got plenty of it. And so David ends up fleeing and seeing, man, it's not a good idea for me to hang out in Philistine territory. So David continues to run. Now, I want you to see in verses one through three, we'll read these three verses in 1 Samuel 22, and then we'll use it as our jumping off point in our time this morning. It says in verse one, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So his brothers, his family, they actually come to minister to David. Verse two, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him like, all the, pe all the misfits, they're all like, man, we wanna, we wanna come down there with you as well, David. And he became commander over them. Like God takes this mishmash of a group of people and this is now David's little army. And there was with him about 400 men. And David went there 
to Mizpah of Moab. So he goes down to Moab and he says to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you. Here's what I want us to really use this phrase as our jumping off point this morning. And I encourage you to underline it. And hopefully at the end of our time, you'll see the significance of it if God hasn't already shown you that this week. Till I know what God will do for me. Can I just emphasize what David doesn't say? David doesn't say, hey, King Moab, let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God may do for me. Let my father and mother stay with you because I'm not sure if God's going to do anything for me. Doesn't say that, does it? That in the midst of all this uncertainty, in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this confusion, of David running for his life. He says this, till I know what God will do for me. Now here's what I wanna do this morning is I want us to, I found a map online that I want us to put up here and, and I know that may be hard to read but the reality is is when you read like chapters 22 through 24, I don't know if you felt like this, you're like, where is he at? He's here, he's here, he's here. Like where's he been? It gets very confusing, doesn't it? So just to the short time that we have here, you see here that David is serving in Gibeah which is the, which is the capital at the time. Saul begins to be jealous of him. David warns David of Saul jealous anger, so what does David do? Remember, we just were here just a few chapters ago. He flees to Samuel, who's at Ramah. And then obviously he, he goes from Ramah then to Nob, and that's where Ahimelech is, remember? And he eats the bread of the present. He takes Goliath's sword. That's where we were uh, last week. And now uh, ju- we just read it in chapter 21. At the end of chapter, David flees to Gath and pretends to be insane, And then David now goes from Gath, he flees now to this cave that's in Adullam, and he begins to mass, as we read already, these 400 people. I hope you you can, can you guys see? Can you guys see? Okay. Um, And then what we find ourselves then is we're going to see as we work through this chapter all of these different places. I know some of you want to read ahead, so just just ignore this right here, but this is where where we are right now, okay? Because it can get a little bit confusing as we're reading. So we're going to refer back to this map, and I just need an excuse to use my laser pointer, okay? So here's the title of the message, your uncertainty when life is uncertain, your certainty when life is uncertain. Because I don't know about you, but when I was reading through this, this this week, and we even gathered as a staff on Mondays at two o'clock, you're welcome to come. If you don't have anything at two o'clock on Monday, we'd love to have you. We have what we call teaching team, and anybody who wants to come can gather together, and it's basically like, hey, we've all read through this passage of scripture that we're gonna be teaching on on Sunday, and let's just share what God has shown us, and it's a beautiful time. And, and, and so I'm just gonna be transparent with you. And the staff knows this. At the end of that teaching team, I was like, I have no idea where to go in 1 Samuel 22 through 24. Like there's so much here. But as I was just reading it on my own and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you show me? What do do I need in my life right now? The thing that kept coming off the pages to me is just feeling the uncertainty that David's in. Running from this place to this place to this place to this place. He didn't ask for this. 
but the uncertainty that David must have been feeling. And here's the idea that I want you to get today, and it really stems from the end of verse three of chapter 22, where we just, I asked you to underline it, till I know what God will do for me. The till I know emphasizes the uncertainty. But what God will do for me emphasizes his certainty in the midst of that uncertainty. So here's the idea, that God uses the uncertainty of life's circumstances to do what? To strengthen your certainty in his character. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you feel like you're living in absolute uncertainty You don't know where the paycheck's gonna come from. You don't know the diagnosis that you're gonna get this week. You have no idea how God's gonna work this out for your kids. You're not sure how this is gonna work out at work. You have no idea. We could go on and on and on. And you right now feel like David running from cave to cave to cave to cave to cave. But I want you to know, and God wants you to know more importantly, that God will use the uncertainty of life circumstances to strengthen what? My certainty, your certainty in his character. Let me just say this because as I've been reading through and looking at the difference between Saul and David, I see this main difference. Saul's relationship with God was all transactional. God, I'm gonna do this so you do this. But David's relationship with the Lord was relational. And that's what God's after for you and me. He's after moving my relationship with him to some transactional thing, to actually abiding, relationally communing with him in the good and in the uncertainty. Like I haven't been through a drive-through in a while, okay? I'm not saying that so you think much of me, that's just the reality, I haven't been through a drive-through in a while. But when you go through a drive-thru, what happens, right? You go through the drive-thru, you see the menu, you place, your, you place your order, you're speaking to a box, you drive ahead, you pay for that order, they give you your stuff, you make sure they didn't forget anything, and you drive off. Hopefully you don't check the bag when you're at home. But you check the bag and make sure they didn't forget anything. I've said hello to the person, hey, how you doing? When they give me my food. But I'm just gonna be real this morning. I never think about that person again. Because at the end of the day, I placed my order, you've given me what I wanted, and because I like what I wanted, I'm gonna drive off. Only do I remember that person if they mess up my order. Then all of a sudden I remembered them. Right, and you're the same way. Why am I emphasizing that? Because God doesn't want our relationship with him to be that way. And so what does he do? He takes the uncertainty and he uses it to strengthen our certainty in his character. How does he do that? I wanna give you three ways this morning. Here's the first one. God confirms he is your stronghold. He wants to confirm in your soul and you that he is your stronghold. Why do I say that? Because in 1 Samuel 22, and we don't have time to read every aspect of 1 Samuel 22, though I will give you the idea if you happen to not read it before you came this morning, that word stronghold is used six times in these three chapters. 
The word stronghold literally has this idea, safe place. That's the idea that it connotates is is safety. This is the way that Hebrew word is used throughout the Old Testament. It's used to refer to mountains. It's used to refer to a refuge. It's used to refer to a high place, a sanctuary, a fortified palace. What's the point? That that word stronghold gives the idea of a place that makes you feel safe. So stronghold. I think it's interesting that that word stronghold literally refers to caves that David is hiding in. See, we hide in a lot of places when things are uncertain, don't we? I hide in a lot of places. Let me just give you some of them. I can hide my work. Man, life's too uncertain, so I'm just gonna dive into my work and allow that to consume my thoughts and just use work as an escape. I can, I can allow my home I'm not gonna talk to anybody. I'm not gonna leave my house. I'm just gonna sit in my pajamas and, or be in my bed and I just can't deal with the world so my, my, my safe place is my home. Maybe it's your mind. As counterintuitive as that is, you're like, the only person that I can tr- trust is myself. So my safe place is my mind. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna pay attention to anything else. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna feed on whatever thoughts I have. We know the toxicity of that, but sometimes it doesn't matter what we know, that's what we do. Our mind can be our safe place. Maybe it's a screen, right? I mean, let me just veg out on this series because it's too uncertain. I've done that. I probably watched The Last Dance which is the documentary of the Chicago Bulls, if you didn't know that, golly, I can't give you the amount of times. That was the most glorious thing in the heat of COVID in my entire life. It was the quickest two hours of my entire week. Like I would literally say, kids, Lori, we're going up to our game room and we're gonna watch this together as a family. Because after all, part of Growing up in the Pereira households is appreciating the talent of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So we went up there and we watched that. It was the most glorious thing. Why was it so glorious? Because I can't tell you how many things were on my mind of how to navigate through 2020 COVID in May that I was like, I just need an escape. So that screen was my safe place. As silly as it sounds, could be a bottle, could be a pill, What's the point? God wants to confirm in you and the uncertainty of life circumstances of what is certain, that he's your stronghold. I have a picture on the screen of when I was in Israel in 2019 of literally these were, this was the mountainside where we find ourselves in, where we find ourselves in this story right now, just in the southern district, just down near Masada, right across the uh, Dead Sea from Moab. And you can see all the little crevices and holes in this mountainside. I mean, it's everywhere if you were driving there. And you can totally see how David was going from one cave to the next, to the next, to the next. And what we find ourselves in chapter 23, just to give you an eye, or, or chapter 22, just where we find ourselves is, remember, Doeg is with Ahimelech, in 1 Samuel 21. And Saul gets, to, gets wind that David has hid with Ahimelech, that Ahimelech actually helped David. We can take that caves off the screen. And, and 
And what we find is, is that Saul gets wind of that. So Saul actually goes to where Ahimelech is in Nob and Doeg is there. And Saul is so upset with Ahimelech that he says to Ahimelech, why have you done this to me? The amount of times that me is mentioned in chapter 23 is staggering that Saul says. And so he actually, Saul actually tells his servants to kill Ahimelech and all of his priests and all of their families and all of their children but his servants have enough sense that this is absolutely crazy. But then you've got this guy, Doeg. So Doeg says, he'll do it. And Doeg slaughters Ahimelech, all of the priests, all of the families, all of the wives, all of the children, except for one person who escapes, Abiathar. And the tragedy of that and trying to wrap your head around that. And maybe you were like, man, this, how in the world can God allow that? And you're, and you're wrapping your head around all of those things. But the point is this, not necessarily how could God allow it, but to see the chaos that was going on. Not only in Saul, but in the people that surrounded him, that it just didn't affect David, it affected everyone else. And what we find ourselves is, look at verse 23 of 22. Abiathar escapes, and look at what David says. David says, Abiathar, stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. How could David say that? Because he understands who his stronghold is. He understands who his stronghold is. See, David hid himself in caves. But what made them his stronghold, what made them his safe place, is he understood that the Lord's presence was with him. That's what made them his safe place. What makes your place safe and your stronghold is you reminding yourself that the Lord's presence is with you in the uncertainty. That it's in the uncertainty when that's the only thing that you have to hold on to, that God strengthens the reality that, Lord, you're my stronghold. You're my safe place. I've been looking at these things. I've been looking at these people. But, God, you're my stronghold. Now, I want you to turn to Psalm 27 and keep your finger in 1 Samuel 22, or somehow, if you can do that on your device, I want you to do so. Psalm 27, many of you know that's one, that's, that's one of my favorite psalms in all of the Bible, but the reason why we're going to Psalm 27 is not because it's necessarily my favorite. It's because Psalm 27, most scholars believe, was written during this time that we're in right now. From 1 Samuel 21 all the way through David running for his life. And so I want us to read 1 Samuel, or, or, or Samuel, or Psalm 27, because it's going to help us understand the significance of what David writes in Psalm 27, understanding what's going on in 1 Samuel 22. Look at what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the what? Stronghold of my life. 
The Lord is the safe place of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That verse one in Psalm 27 is like the big idea of Psalm 27. So how does David respond? How do you respond? How do I respond to uncertainty when I understand the certainty of God being my stronghold? Well, look at verse two. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, can you, just, can, you, can you see the significance of what David's writing here based on what we just read? My heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because one thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I want to emphasize the word will there. Because David is speaking in the future as he writes Psalm 27. What does he say in chapter 22, verse 3? Till I know what God will do for me. There's a certainty in David in the midst of the uncertainty of his circumstances. And the reason why he has a certainty in the character of God is because he is submitting to a process to where God is showing him, David, I'm your safe place. I'm your stronghold. I'm your light. I'm your salvation. And the Lord will take the uncertainty of life circumstances in your life. Those moments that feel unsafe. They in your mind right now? Those moments that feel unsafe. And he'll use those to draw you to himself. So that you'll no longer see your stronghold as a place. But you'll see it as a person. And it's your Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. It's your Savior. How does God use the uncertainty of life circumstances to confirm your certainty in his character? Well, God confirms he's your stronghold. But here's the second thing. We find this in 1 Samuel 23, that God confirms he is your salvation. Why do I say that? Because two significant times in chapter 23, David does this, it's phrased this way, he inquires of the Lord. He inquires of the Lord. Now mind you, David is running for his life. David's hiding in the caves near Moab. This is where David's at. And all of a sudden, David gets wind that the Philistines are attacking a city in Israel named Keilah. We can put the map back up here. Let's go back to our map. So David has, has been over here, okay? So quite the journey because he's gotta have his parents over here in Moab. So all of a sudden he hears now that the Philistines are attacking Keilah. Now, I don't know about you, but if it's myself, I'm like, man, I got my own problems over here. Like, I'm sorry for you over here, but I've got my own problems. But somehow David is like, no, 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 we've, 
We've got to go help our brothers and our sisters in Keilah who are being attacked by the Philistines. And so what David does is he goes to the Lord and he inquires of the Lord. He doesn't go into presumption mode and say, well, I'm gonna do this because after all, God, look at what I've been doing for you, so you automatically should be doing something for me. No, 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 David says, I've got to inquire in the Lord about this. And God tells him to go. Yeah, go save the people of Keilah. Now those 400 men that are with David, they're scared to death. Like they're like, David, you want us to go where? See, here's what you have to understand about Keilah, and it says in 1 Samuel 23, there's bars and there's gates. So if there's bars and there's gates, then what does that mean? Well, you can assume that that means that those bars and those gates can trap you. And David's men are like, we don't wanna go to a place that has bars and gates. In fact, David, we're running for our lives. Like, we're not completely motivated to go help somebody else right now. So what does David do? He inquires of the Lord again. Maybe I heard it wrong. He inquires of the Lord again, and God confirms to David, David, I'm gonna give you the victory. Well, the problem is Saul gets wind that David's in Keilah. And by the way, God gives David the victory in Keilah, and Saul hears that and he believes he has them because Saul also knows that that city has bars and gates. Saul even is so presumptuous and Saul caught up in his own ego and his own agenda. Remember that transactional relationship? That he's like, well, obviously God has given me David, given David into my hands because look at where he's at. And so David hears that Saul is coming. So David inquires of the Lord again. I feel so sorry for David here. Because he literally inquires of the Lord, and he's like, Lord, is Saul gonna find me here? I mean, I help these people out. Is Saul gonna find me here? And the Lord's like, yes, he will, David. And then he's like, well, will the men of, of Keilah, who I just saved, are they gonna rat me out? Yes, they will, David. So David runs for his life in the wilderness of Ziph. Can you feel the uncertainty? Can you feel the chaos? First Samuel 23, verse 14, look at what it says there in your Bibles. And it says, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. Why? Because God was confirming and David, David, I'm your salvation. If you want to get the map again out, those of you who love maps, you're just geeking out on this right now. I know you are. Here's where we find ourselves. This is where Ziph is. So David flees from Keilah, and now he's, he's wandering around in this area, hiding in the wilderness of Ziph. But what does David do in the midst of uncertainty? Here's what I want you to get in chapter 23. What does he do in the midst of uncertainty? He inquires of the Lord. Lord, you're my salvation, not my intellect, not what I've done, not my battle prowess, not how I've been able to save my life up to this point. Lord, I understand that you've been with me every day, every, day, every way, every cave. You're my safe place. And because you're my safe place, Lord, I also understand, and God is growing in David, this growing understanding that, Lord, you're my salvation. You're the one that I gotta go to for counsel. You're the one I have to go to for wisdom. You're the one I have have to go to for protection. 
Now, understanding 1 Samuel 23, flip back over to Psalm 27, and let's continue to read this psalm. Because look at what David says in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. What's David doing? He's inquiring of the Lord. You have said, seek my face. David's got the wherewithal and the uncertainty of life circumstances to understand that God is drawing him to himself. God, what you want me to do right now is not come up with another strategy of another way to, to, to save my fanny, to get me out of this situation. Lord, you just want me to seek you. So my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse nine, hide not your face from me. Once again, let's not deify David. How many of you have felt like that? Lord, I know that you want me to look to you for my salvation, but God, at the same time, I am really struggling from what I believe theologically to what I'm experiencing. That's what David's happening right here. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help. The one who's been my stronghold up to this point. The one who's been my salvation up to this point. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Now look at verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now all of a sudden that makes more sense, doesn't it? Because his parents are in Moab. And I don't know if this is referring to some conflict that has arisen where his parents are like, David, like just tell Saul you don't want to be king. I have no idea, but David is feeling, I'm all alone, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Can you see the process that God is taking David through? So who's your savior this morning? Who is it? Is it your intellect? I think I'm smart enough. I think I got this. I think I got enough experience. I think I got this. So your finances, oh man, we're good. I know how my bills are gonna get paid, we're good. I can pay my way out of this. So your parents, so your parents, you're like, no, my parents are my savior. Like, that's who I'm looking to. So your spouse, so your relational partner, your pastor, your friends, your calendar, man, I got vacation in two weeks. I can't, I, that's my savior. I'm just looking forward to that. If I can just get to that, then we'll be good. Because the lesson that I see in 1 Samuel 23 is this, that the Lord uses uncertainty in my life, in your life, to do what? To strip us of our false saviors in order to confirm that the Lord is your one true savior. Here's a third thing. How does God use the uncertainty of life circumstances to confirm the certainty of his character? Here's a third thing. God confirms he is your security. 
1 Samuel 24 is, is where we really see this alluded to. And to once again, last time, I promise, let's go back to our map and let's see where we're at. So David has been wandering around in Ziph, but here's now what he does. Now we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 24 that now he's in the caves of En Gedi, still running for his life. But this is where we find David. And, and David is hiding deep in these caves, it tells us in 1 Samuel 24. And by chance, Saul goes into the same cave to use the bathroom. Depending on how your translation says that, that's what he's doing. And so he's in there and he's in that cave and he's using the bathroom. And can you imagine like David and his men are hiding deep into that cave where they're like, who is that? Who's coming in? Who is that? I don't know. I can't see. Who is it? All of a sudden, it's Saul. And he's in the most vulnerable position that you could be in. <laughs> and I've thought about this all week. His men are like, David, we've been running for our lives. What are the chances? I showed you the picture of the myriad of caves that exist in the wilderness of Israel. That the same cave that we're hiding in, Saul would use the bathroom in and be in a vulnerable position like David. God has delivered Saul into your hands. And I'm just being transparent this morning. I would have been yes and amen. But somehow, some way, David didn't do that. So what does David do? Well, he goes and, you know, covert ops. I don't know if he's going on his stomach or whatever he is. And he cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. And it even says in 1 Samuel 24 that when he does that, he falls under such great conviction. Because somehow, some way, he knows that this isn't the time that the Lord has. And he falls under conviction because he's relying on himself. He's falling into pragmatism. Because what do the men say to David? They're like, David, do what seems good to you. And so David toys with Saul, cuts off a part of his robe, and then later on, David calls out to Saul as he gets out of that cave and gets himself out of a vulnerable position. And he calls out to Saul and he says, Saul, look what I had the chance to be able to do. I don't want to raise my hand against you. What have I done? I, I have no ill feelings towards you whatsoever. And Saul falls under deep conviction at the end of 1 Samuel 24 and sees, he even acknowledges, David, this is why you're going to be the next ruler and the king of Israel. Now let me say this as a caveat, and I don't want to say this to, to kind of pull our minds this way, but I do want to say this because I want to be clear, because I, I have a heart for this, I have a compassion for this, because unfortunately, we throw out, don't raise your hand against the Lord's anointed, and that's been used, and I don't know your story, but in a crowd this size, there may be someone that somehow that's been used to, in the church to abuse you. Physically, physically, sexually, emotionally, I don't know what it is, that you can't bring an accusation against me because I'm the Lord's anointed. And I want you to know, because I don't want your mind to go here and be caught up in this, that that is not at all the application of this passage of Scripture. So it should be clear in that. 
Because unfortunately, we have to say that. So that's not the application here. The application is in some way, somehow, David's response to Saul in this moment is driven, is rooted in the certainty that, Lord, you're my security. His men say to him, David, do what seems good to you. Like, like this, is, this is it. We can go back to our homes. This, this can be over. But David says, I'm not gonna put out my hand against him. Chapter 24, verse six. Why? Because David has a growing understanding. God is confirming in David. David, I'm your defense. David, I'm your advocate. David, I'm your timekeeper. David, I'm your provider. And listen to me. I know what it's like. And if you've lived long enough, you know what it's like to have accusations hurled against you that you know are not true. Maybe it's at work and you're just doing your job and you're trying to do it faithfully. And so other people are jealous of that. And so they, they start saying that you're doing this or you're doing that or you have this agenda or you have that agenda and you're feeling all these emotions that I've got to literally deal with every accusation and deal with every lie that's told. And at the end of the day, maybe it's, the Lord wants in that uncertainty to confirm that he's your security. You know what I found in my life? It's impossible to try to defend every little thing that comes out you. It's an exhausting experience. And what I've found is when you just say, you know what, I know what's true. I'm gonna say what's true, but I know what's true. God's gonna be my defense. He's gonna be my security. There's a peace that happens in you. Psalm 27, verses 13 through 14, he says this. Here's my security. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm gonna wait for the Lord. I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna let my heart take courage. I'm gonna wait for the Lord. All of a sudden, doesn't verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 27 make a whole lot more sense? based on where we find David at. But when the Lord confirms in your soul that he's your security, here's what happens. Here's what I've experienced. Is that your fear that motivates you to wanna go into hyper control mode. That's not true, that's not true. I'm wrong here, I've been wrong there. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. Then when the Lord is confirming, Johnny, I'm your security. I'm your safe place. I'm your salvation. That that fear to want to control is replaced by a submission that brings peace. Says, God, I'm gonna stop trying to control everything and God, I'm gonna give it to you. So I just want every head bowed and every eye closed as we close this morning. And I want you to think about whatever is uncertain in your life right now. Most likely it won't take very long because it's been on your mind this whole time. We've been talking about this. 
And I just want you to take that thing and I want you to say, Lord, let me be still. Lord, I want you to grow me in understanding in a deeper way the certainty of who you are. Lord, today, tomorrow, if you give it this week and the weeks to come, Lord, would you confirm in my soul that you're my stronghold, my safe place? Would you confirm that you're my salvation, that you won't hide your face from me. God, let me, my soul, grow in confirmation that you're my security, you're my advocate, you're my defense, you're my timekeeper, you're my provider. Because I can tell you from personal experience that when your heart is postured that way, God will do what you ask, but not in a transactional way, in a relational way. Lord, we are here today as people desperate for you, whether we realize it or not. And I thank you for your grace that in those times when we don't realize it, Lord, you are patient with us and you are still working to bring us to a place to grow us in the certainty of your character that you are good. So Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is overall the certain and the uncertain. In Jesus' name, amen.